Hello, everyone. Welcome to China Money Podcast. I'm your host Nina Xiang. Welcome to this week of China Tech VC News Roundup for the week of June 4th to June 8th. Today, I'm very excited to be welcoming my guest,、um, Mr. Fritz Dimopoulos,、uh, founder of Quinsdale Capital and co-founder. Of、uh, Chinese online travel search engine Tunar.com, and of course, Fritz has been on our program before. Fritz, welcome. Hi, Nina. It's great to be here. All right, so it's been a busy week for the industry.、Um, so,、uh, lots of news in all the hot sectors in Chinese tech,、uh, healthcare, fintech,、um, and also IPOs. Well, first off, we have Chinese smartphone and electronics company Xiaomi Inc.、Um, supposedly、uh, applying for a listing using the new IPO scheme of Chinese depository receipts. Of course, this is a way for overseas Chinese companies to list in Chinese domestic stock market.、Uh, it's similar to American depository receipts. And Xiaomi will be the first company that issues CDRs, which stands for Chinese Depository Receipts, and、uh, it supposedly will submit its application、uh, today, sometime, according、uh, to people have、uh, with information of the matter. So this is obviously a big change for the Chinese domestic listing rule. Really providing a channel for a lot of you know internet company, technology company that has been、uh, or had listed overseas in Hong Kong, such as Tencent in the U.S. market. Are you optimistic about Xiaomi's IPO? I think Xiaomi is an amazing company with、um, an exceptional management team and good products. So frankly, I think wherever they list, it's going to. I, th- I think it's going to be great.、Um, certainly, the CDRs.、Um, you know, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to innovate not just、uh, with your product and how you exploit a market, but sometimes with how you finance your business. And so, obviously,、um, um, Lei Jun is—he's、uh, an innovator when it comes to financing as well.、Um, he's probably an innovator when it comes to PR and some other things on on, on top of that. Well, expand on that.、Yeah. What do you mean, like he's innovative in financing? Well, I mean, he's the first—he's one of the first companies to do this, right?、And、yes. So, you know, sometimes as an entrepreneur,、uh, we have to be creative in, you know, the products and markets、uh, that we exploit.、Um, but but in parallel, we have to be creative and innovative in how we extract resources from the external environment. And extracting resources could be how we recruit and motivate people, how we compensate people. How we extract financial resources, how we re- extract government resources, possibly, and maybe partnerships and technology as well. And so we have to be mindful of an, an entrepreneur is not just products and markets. And I, th- I think it's it, it's also how we extract resources and financing is, is one of those and one of the key areas. And so he's just exploring and thinking about it, and he thinks this might be a, 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 a This might be a good opportunity for his organization and his shareholders, and so to me, I mean, it's it's, it's exciting to see.、Um, I think overall,、um, retail investors 
and large domestic institutions will now have access to new types of businesses that before uh, would only elect to list um, right. internationally. Exactly. Um, and, and so to me that's a good thing. Um, I think uh, financial theory dictates that um, if your investor base understands your products and markets, then quite possibly they'll give you a premium. Um, above and beyond the other premia that we get from the Chinese market. Um, so obviously with um, exchange rate controls and all that sort of stuff, um, um, you know, I think that's created certain imbalances which usually favors high quality domestic assets um, as investors look for yield. Um, but I think uh, there's another premium that can be had and that has to do with if consumers know your products and they use your products, or should I say, if, if, if potential investors know your products and use your products, they may be more yeah. likely to buy your IPO. Right. Um, it's, it's, and clearly Chinese consumers know um, Xiaomi's products. Yeah. They view Xiaomi's products, they've been fans. Everyone understands the celebrity cult around Lei Jun and mm -hmm. his team, and, um, and, and so obviously they may be more likely to um, you know, maybe support the stock and buy into that investment story. Whereas in North America, um, a lot of fund managers, sure, they've heard of Xiaomi, but uh, do they really use the product and service? Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the joke in, you know, uh, the joke on Wall Street is if there's a golf startup, they're probably going to get their unfair share of attention from investors because investors like to golf. So they're going to pay. pay uh, so, so basically, they may pay special attention right. uh, to your offering, and you may get a slight bump in uh, valuation only because investors just actually know the product a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, and similarly, um, Chinese consumers and investors know Chinese products a little bit better. I mean, this IPO is also, of course, we should note, a dual listing. And Xiaomi is also um, has filed its IPO prospectus to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange um, last month in, in May. So the, the whole process will be highly complicated. And of course, the top question on everybody's mind is, how much is this company going to be valued? Uh, there are a lot of numbers being uh, thrown around, uh, you know, all the way from 60 billion to 100 billion. Uh, what do you think is a fair methodology to 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 value this company? I mean, I'm not a banker, but um, I think what you're describing is the uncertainty in the financial markets. We see a lot of volatility, um, especially within the tech space. Um, Tencent can lose $50 billion in market cap in a few days, and it sounds like it's no big deal, but $50 billion is just a lot of money. Um, or and then it can go back up $50 billion. Um, so what we see is uh, a, 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 a lot of volatility, and that um, really um, leads to a struggle to understand you know, the valuation of, you know, these companies. Right. I mean, um, the, the, the big question is, should we value Xiaomi as a technology internet company or should we value the company as a smart uh, hardware company, which is really sort of like uh, even, you know, more similar to traditional electronics manufacturing companies. Obviously, the company wants to be valued as an internet company, but if right, you look at their platform. revenue... 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, so I mean, so obviously they want to be viewed as a platform play that that has this layer of software, and obviously all this hardware is just a way to make extra money. Yeah, sh sure they do, um, and you know, there's an argument to be said for that. I mean, they've invested and they've worked with a lot of IoT companies. Um, Xiaomi started as a software company, and then they only decided, you know, maybe we need to get into the hardware. Um, many years ago, um, I think Alan Kay said this, um, one of the fathers of Silicon Valley, was every software company, every great software company needs to get into hardware. Mm -hmm. um, just because being vertically integrated means you can control better. And maybe that's how Lei Jun thinks about it. And maybe he's trying to educate the market on that, you know, really going back to what Alan Kay talked about probably 30 years ago. Um, every great software company, he thinks he's a great software company, um, needs to have a bit of hardware versus being a hardware company that happens to have some buggy software. Um, so I, I think that's one way to think about it. Mm. But, you know, valuing companies, I mean, overall, this is just very, very difficult you know, what type of multiple do we assign the business? Um, how risky is uh, the market or the primary markets that Xiaomi operates in? Some people think, in, in some ways, Xiaomi is a proxy for our um, optimism or slightly less optimism on the Chinese consumer and the Chinese market. Um, are they tapped out? Will they continue to spend? Will they continue to... Uh, pay a premium for all sorts of interesting products and brands and stuff like that, and and and, and, and so somehow you know uh, their valuation I think is going to be a testament to that. It's going to be a testament to um, you know their ability to execute in other markets. So obviously, um, you know they had some PR about how they were going to get into France and Germany, which clearly was really to support the IPO, mm. uh, to say, oh, we're so good that even the French will buy us. Can you imagine that? <laughs> um, and, uh, PR so, is uh, very important. Yeah, right. And, and, and obviously listing in China and Hong Kong, um, maybe there's a looser uh, uh, definition of PR and uh, uh, what they're allowed to do um, as a uh, you know, pre-IPO company or, or, or I guess teeing up for the IPO. With CDR, obviously, a great way for offshore Chinese companies to list in mainland China. What other companies do you feel they will potentially go down this path? I mean, any names? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not a banker, but clearly, um, what we do know is these companies are looking for capital. They need to continue to fund their. China ambitions and maybe their global ambitions, and I think they're going to exploit every single market opportunity. If Nasdaq is giving, you know, healthy valuations, they're going to go there. If the um, mainland markets are providing healthy valuations, they're going to go there. If it's Hong Kong, I mean, so they don't really care. I, I mean, I don't think. I mean, obviously, there's probably some local PR, government sort of stuff that they probably take mm. into account. Obviously. Um, the, the, that probably fits into it partially, um, but I mean, I mean, obviously we hear about Meituan a lot, you know, we, we hear about Didi, and you know, these two companies, including Xiaomi, 
every Chinese consumer uses these, uh, you know, these services or, or, mm. or, or buy these products. I guess we have to say Xiaomi is a service, not a product, right? I think this is what Lee Jun wants us to say, right? So, <laughs> Can you describe to me service, how yeah. my Xiaomi toothbrush, my electric toothbrush is a service? <laughs> Obviously, they use big data to figure out how often you brush and, and, and the plaque and all that right. sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to um, to fintech uh, IPO market. There had there was another Chinese actually private equity firm that's planning for a U.S. IPO. But um, the most important was Xiaomi. But after that, we have another massive uh, fundraising completed by Ant Financial, the financial services unit of. Chinese technology giant Alibaba, the company raised 14 billion U.S. dollars. That's one four, and valuation supposedly 150 billion U.S. dollars. Um, this equity round has two parts: both the RMB tranche and uh, a U.S. dollar tranche. The company did not say how much each tranche. Is worth, but um, um, there were some rumors that the U.S. dollar will be taking the majority of the 14 billion dollar fundraising. So, and financial worth 150 billion U.S. dollars. That's um, about 14 years after Alibaba started. Uh, Alipay, which was a third-party mobile payment services. Do you think the valuation is um, uh, is fair? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we have to look at uh, comparable companies or the uh, potential for cash flows, right? I mean, ultimately, uh, if they're comparable uh, to yeah, financial, yeah. So, so, so we have to look at those uh, figures now. What we tend to see is Chinese companies get a lot of credit for their future potential um, 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 as opposed to maybe what they've recently achieved, uh, which, is, which is the nature of high valuation. And, and, and so obviously Jack Ma gets a lot of credit for um, the future potential of what um, Ant can bring to small businesses, to consumers, and um, maybe even other types of in, uh, larger institutions in China. Um, he obviously has a, a large stranglehold on data, um, deep relationships with potential borrowers and suppliers of capital, and, and of course um, certain smart processes, I think, that um, are, are going to lead to um, possibly outsized returns in the future, and the market's giving him credit for that. Well, what I have observed about Alipay and also WePay, WeChat Pay, is the first mover advantage enjoyed by Alipay. So I, I always observe what other people are paying with, either through Alipay or WeChat Pay in China, you know, in coffee shops, in restaurants. Um, and sometimes um, a lot of people use Alipay just because they initially used Alipay and they moved their funds to um, Yobao and then so their bank account was first 
tied to Alipay. And you know, five, six, seven years later, they tied their bank perhaps to WeChat Pay. But still, this user habit has been formed. So, so people have this. Like for me, it's the same thing. I use Alipay because I, I you know. It's it's something I've been doing for some years, and it's troublesome for me to to want to move all that process to a different platform. Yeah, you know, I I I, I think that's I think that's a, the correct observation, and and I think that's one factor of a few factors that makes Alipay compelling. Um, I think another factor is, frankly, Alibaba, the Alibaba group of companies. These are market-driven organizations. They don't necessarily have a state agenda um, or an obvious state agenda as the state-run banks do, and, and 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 consumers just you know trust Jack Ma and his leadership to actually do a little bit better job, provide a little bit better customer service, um, provide a little bit better returns, slightly lower fees, and so con- so, so consumers are voting with their wallets. You know, which institutions do they trust? Both from a fiduciary point of view, uh, but also just from an um, ease of operations point of view, and I, I, I think we're seeing that very, very clearly with um, um, you know Ant's valuation and in, in, in their recent performance. Hmm. Well, so we'll see. I'm sure um, IPO plans is also in store for for Ant Financial, and um, perhaps it will also go down the CDR route. Um, uh, we'll follow up on that, I'm sure, in the future. All right, so next news in fintech coming up is um, Chinese fintech firm Pintech has raised 103 million US dollars from Sina Corporation and Hong Kong based venture capital firm Mentor Capital. Uh, a number of other investors also participated in the round, including STI Financial Group, Shenwei Capital Partners, and Zhong Capital Holdings Group. Pintech offers end-to-end solutions based on artificial intelligence, big data, and blockchain. It analyzes elements in retail financial services, including user cases, traffic, data, risk management, capital, and products, to find standardized and modularized solutions for small and medium-sized financial institutions. Does this company sound attractive to you? Sounds pretty good to me. I mean, at the end of the day, um, the financial services industry since, I guess, um, since Renaissance Florence has been probably making too much money for not doing enough work. Um, So a few hundred years ago, up until only very recently, these firms did three things. They had relationships with potential providers of capital and potential users of capital. They had some sort of, you could say, assessment process to figure out how they deploy that capital, some sort of, you could imagine, underwriting or loan process. And lastly, they had a little bit of data, not a lot, but a little bit of data, like maybe in the States it would be FICO scores or whatever it is, to somehow assess the creditworthiness and or price the risk of those assets, just three really basic things. And what we found now in the world of AI, digital, internet and mobile, 
we're finding out that you don't need to have relationships with either providers of capital or users of capital. You can just get that online. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to do. We have very transparent marketplaces to access both. Processes, anyone can cut and paste a process these days. There's no competitive advantage in figuring out um, you know, certain loan protocols or, or like underwriting protocols and stuff like that. And data, well, the online guys have shown us that they have heaps more data than the traditional people or the, uh, uh, the uh, traditional operators have ever had. And with AI and uh, machine learning and, and, of course, a statistical analysis, we're able to um, um, come up with better predictions and uh, better pricing of risk assets and way better than what the uh, traditional finance institutions can do. And so this company, is just, you know, Pintech, is, is, is just an example of that, uh, just like Alipay is and in, in, in WeChat Pay. Um, and it's just and, and, and like they're just killing it. And right. these are traditional providers. Um, you know what, what's interesting to me is, I mean, um, I get to talk to you uh, rather frequently. You know, we can talk once a year or so. So you know, back about ten years ago, I didn't hear you talk about artificial intelligence or blockchain. So I, I wonder, just you know, from your position. You know, how, what is the learning curve like for you to, to learn about the latest technology, whether it's machine learning, deep learning, or blockchain? We know there's a few things uh, to keep in mind. Uh, when CC Zhuang and I were running Chunar, we were doing a lot of AI-related projects already. Really? Projects. That was like 10 years ago? But the thing is, we didn't call it AI. <laughs> so keep in mind, uh, I think we have to ignore, or we have to separate you know, the branding and buzzwords right, from what people are really doing. Um, you know, I mean, AI has been around since the 60s. Um, it, it's, it started at MIT, and then the Zurich Institute of Technology, Stanford, where uh, a certain uh, computer scientists and electrical engineers were coming up with all sorts of different ideas and ways to think about AI. Um, and in fact, some of those principles are, are actually still used today in, in, in front and center when, from the godfathers of this discipline. And, and, and so, frankly, it isn't like we weren't aware of this. We were using these tools. Or we, we, we just didn't realize that, that we were using these tools and approaches. Um, so what, what was those names for the processes that we didn't today would be called AI or Well, you know, learning? back then, you know, we, had called, we, we, we said we had a, a predictive engine or we used analytics. Oh, we, we, so we, it's we called it predictive API or something like predictive um, well again thing. we didn't even have a like a brand name associated right it, it's only we, we, we were just doing it right we had engineering teams we were thinking about um, I and mean, we had something called I guess a natural language user interface so we, so, so we did have that buzzword which I, I guess still exists today um, and, and so as an operating company I mean there are many of these tools and approaches that we've always used um, in, in, in fact um, but I mean, yeah. do you, how do you stay on top of like and, the, the, the and, and, and frankly, yeah, and, and so I, th I think now to, t to answer that specific question, um, it's something we struggle with first of all, um, as investors and operators, we always ask ourselves how can we maintain our relevancy in a highly dynamic market environment. In some ways, in order to stay relevant, is frankly. Do we talk to people 20 years younger than us? 
<laughs> we talk to people twenty years older than us. I mean, that's a. a yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. If, I, I mean, I, I, I would ask your audience: When's the last time you talked to someone twenty years younger than you who wasn't your kid? Right. Um, <laughs> or um, your staff. Staff. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so you know, so like that's part of it. Um, and, and, and obviously, just being plugged in. And of course, how do you get plugged in? Well, it, it actually takes work. Mm-hmm. It isn't like uh, there's this great. Um, Simpsons Simpsons episode when Bart Simpson is in um, France and he was just in France having fun and then one day he goes, oh, I speak French now. Um, Well, it it isn't like you just show up and after a while you speak French. It's like you show up and after a while you have to do a lot of talking to people, be inquisitive. Every meeting you go to, you have to learn something new or three new things. So the meeting we have today, I mean, in, in the back of my mind, I'm always asking myself, can I learn three new things? Um, and well, that's, and, and, that's very uh, yeah, high bar for me now. Yeah, and, and, and so, so we're always pushing ourselves, and, and maybe by doing that day in and day out, maybe we collect ideas and knowledge and wisdom, and and we're, we're able to kind of stay on top of some of these trends. Um, and, 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 and obviously, we're kind of lucky in, in this day and age. Um, you may not necessarily need to be directly in the flow to be exposed to these trends because because information is like water. It just goes to the point of least resistance. And so we all have more access to information and data and stories and journalists than we ever had before. Um, so it's, yes, we're paranoid about staying relevant, but we, we do have some advantages that even our peers 10, 15 years ago didn't have. Hmm. Well, I, I have some uh, other follow-ups, but uh, let's talk about those when we discuss uh, consumer-related news headlines. Uh-huh. Uh, we have another major fintech fundraising for the past week. A hundred days fintech platform, CGTZ.com, raised a very, very big round, three hundred fifty-seven, fifty-seven point eight million U.S. dollar Series D, um, and interestingly, led by uh, a petroleum. Um, its name has Geojade Petroleum. It's a Chinese real estate development and oil exploration and production firm. So I think this is part of the trend we have been observing in the past few years where traditional industries, companies in China are investing into new economy uh, companies and trying to transition themselves into the new economy um, Ecosystem or uh, becoming more innovative. Uh, I'm not, uh, but I think we, you've commented enough on fintech. So let's move on to the next section, which is tech and internet. We have this week Chinese social media giant Tencent Holdings Limited and also automaker Zhejiang Gili Holding Group have won a joint bid to to buy a 49% stake in high-speed network technology company which provides Wi-Fi technology services to high-speed rail customers across China. Gili and Tencent joined in a three-way joint venture to create an integrated one-stop platform that will offer mobility service to train users, according to an announcement from Gili. Financial details were not announced, but uh, uh, previously, uh, there were some media reports speculating that Tencent's bid for a stake in the railway Wi-Fi provider could be worth more than 485 million U.S. dollars. We have to, of course, just quickly go through 
the high-speed rail growth in China. In 2017, the number of high-speed rail passengers in China exceeded 1.7 billion. So that's a lot more than China's total population. This, uh, this deal, of course, is, um, is part of a, a state-directed campaign for state-owned enterprise to go through a mixed ownership structure um, uh, between state-owned and private enterprises. But great deal for Tencent and Gili, kind of um, unexpected or unusual alliance. Um, any thoughts? Yeah. Is it a great deal? <laughs> I, I, I mean, that I don't know. I mean, obviously, controlling the pipes, that's one way to describe it. Or, I mean, I guess that's an you old word. You mean the data pipes? Uh, exactly. Uh, controlling access, maybe Tencent feels that provides some sort of advantage. Um, consumers on those trains will need to use Tencent branded or Tencent affiliated products and services. Um, so you could see how uh, they could be very excited about that. Um, I would throw out that generally the government has always wanted multiple uh, providers to provide access. Uh, they didn't want one company to somehow control it. Um, and so that's, fortunately, that's an enlightened view. Um, that I, I think is better for operators and um, consumers, and so I'm 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 wondering, um, will the government provide a, uh, a, a allow for a second provider, um, right. and and a third provider, and you know that valuation or that good deal that maybe to use your words kind of implies that they're the only provider, and and, and then I, th I think that provides huge advantages, but a will. Will they be the only provider? I mean, you know, for years um, well, I, uh, in, in, in China, people say, I'm exclusive. Um, but I don't think I've met anyone who's ever exclusive for anything, really. Mm -hmm. But I think this is purely for this company's equity stakes so that this state-owned enterprise unit can have some equity stakes owned by private enterprises. So they can have a mixed ownership structure, be more market economy oriented. Um, but I've actually never used Wi-Fi on high-speed rails in China. It was never available when I was taking the train. Well, I mean, I, I don't know about that. And I don't know how 3G or 4G or 5G works. Um, you know, most people just do that these days, right? Anyways. Right. Um, so I mean, this is a bit of an it's a bit of an interesting deal. Yeah, you're right. I mean, mixed ownership sounds great. I guess. Um, does that mean the the, the, the government is allowing um, private ownership of state assets? Um, which, you know, broadly speaking, you know, state control of the economy seems to be growing and has been growing under President Xi and his administration for a long time and. Um, do we see that, is, is this the first sign in a slight policy shift that maybe they want private enterprise to be more involved and, and, and maybe rebalance that 70-30 split to 50-50? I, I, I don't know, but, you know, there's a bigger issue there. And, you know, that's probably today, you know, probably one of the top three major economic issues in China today is 
state assets and the state management or control of the economy versus market-driven forces in, in the economy. Um, and it's, I, I think it's, and, and luckily, or the, the, depending on your perspective, it's kind of a pendulum. It, it kind of swings back and forth a little bit. It's very interesting. I was just in Beijing, and I was taking a DD car, and I was chatting with the driver. So I said, um, your accent sounds like you're from Beijing. He said, yes, I'm from Chongzhou. So, so I asked him, how did you start becoming a DD driver? He said, well, my factory, uh, one of the many subsidiaries uh, under Sino uh, Petrino, uh, uh, Petrol, was closed down in Chongzhou uh, in five years ago. So I started doing you know, other jobs, including becoming a TV driver. And then he told me that, of course, he's, he's still getting a salary from, <laughs> from, uh, from uh, the, the, the state petroleum company. And the salary is only slightly lower than when he had to work you know, a, a full-time job. So just imagine how many people in China who's you know, having this treatment, who's receiving money from state-owned enterprises while not doing any work. Millions of people, at least. Yeah, that's right. Um, is that, I mean, th there was a policy many years ago, you know, the Danway system was a way to provide uh, social stability and, 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 and social services was through the state-run companies. And so that legacy still exists today, obviously. And weighs down um, on, on, on SEOs, of it, course. It, it, it does. And so that's their argument, why they need state protection and state favors, because they have this obligation that um, private companies don't mm -hmm. have. And so, I mean, that's just so the it, it's, of the planning. Uh, it's 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 partly that. Economy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, so one way to do it is like in the U.S., right, where you know some private companies offer pensions. Um, a, a, a lot of people don't have access to that, or they manage it through their own four hundred one k. Or if you're a government employee in the states, you pretty much get everything. So you're like this driver, but like you pretty much get a high salary, you don't have to do any work for your whole life, and uh, you're uh, actually a higher citizen than you know, most other people. Um, and it's kind of been a slightly, yeah, I mean, every system is going to have its um, inefficiencies and, and, and disadvantages, and, and it's, sometimes there's some advantages. You know, pushing down uh, the responsibility of um, social services to the state sector has some advantages because you have a number of, you probably have 10,000 large state entities, whether they're um, municipalities or large municipalities or state-run enterprises, which offer some sort of uh, social services. And that 10,000 competes with each other. They're jockeying. They're trying different things. And that could lead possibly to some um, interesting innovations. But but anything that's that fragmented um, also leads to massive inefficiencies. And so this is kind of a bit of a balance, but um, it probably requires a lot of policy thinking. Yeah, well said. Okay, let's quickly move on to uh, another uh, major financing round this week that's actually more like a strategic investment. Chinese live streaming social media platform YY Inc., has invested an additional 272 million US dollar in a Series D preferred round or in Series D preferred shares 
in Singaporean video-based social media platform Beagle Inc. Uh, YY's chairman and acting CEO David Xuelin Li also invested in Beagle using his personal funds. Do you have anything interesting to say about social media, live streaming, video platforms? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I believe that um, live streaming is one of the key new media platforms. That ex- I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm a media industry person, just like Danny is, and and and, and, okay, and, and, and have, some of our mutual mutual friends. I have uh, I have a quick question for you. Do you use Douyin? Have you played Douyin? You know, the hardest short video Douyin app in China. Douyin or Kuai Shou? No, that's a different uh, generation. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I am. I mean, I, I guess in full transparency, I'm the first investor in UpLive, which is a Beijing-based live streaming business, and and so obviously we've competed with Bigo as well as Live Live Dot Me and, and some other players. Um, I mean, obviously David uh, at YY, he's an exceptional entrepreneur. This was really a spinoff, right? This was under YY before. Mm-hmm. You know, that's YY's globalization plan. Um, and, I, and I guess what um, David wanted to do, uh, that's David Lee, the founder of YY, is to unleash the animal spirits by kind of having this company be a separate entity. And I think with separate management and energy, although, I mean, he at one point was actually running that business, right, kind of before going back to YY. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, David is an amazing entrepreneur, and um, I and of course, he's a philosopher, which is what he studied at um, People's University, and so very thoughtful and smart. Um, I think it's a good company. I think my company, UpLive, is also a good company, um, and uh, we're also global, and we have a Singapore office as well as Taipei, and we're in the Middle East and North America. We have 20 employees in L.A. now, um, and, and so we're also doing an amazing job. But, but, but for but, operators like you guys, how do you view, like, you know, Kaishou or Douyin, which Douyin has basically killed every other um, uh, sort of com- competing platform as everybody in China is on that platform. It's, it's true, but, but, but I, I, I think the good thing about these products and services is people don't use any one exclusively. I, uh, um, consumers use JD.com and they use Alibaba or Taobao. Um, they use Douyin and Kuai Show and UpLive and, and Inca sometimes. Um, and, and so what we find is um, some, some products and services resonate more with a wider swathe of consumers, no problem. But what we tend to find is there is no uh, single um, platform that people exclusively use. And why is that? Because customers want choice. Some services offer... Uh, different levels of quality, different levels of experiences. It, it, it just really depends. What are some major trends you see for Asian uh, live video streaming companies? Is it going to you know become more vertical? Or is it is it about you know creating new, innovative, trendy products? Well, the verticalization is happening. Obviously, Sunlands is um, a, a NASDAQ-listed company which does that for education. And, and of course, um, Shindong Fang and some of the other education companies all have their live streaming education initiative, right? So, um, so, so, uh, so I think verticalization, yes, in certain areas. Um, we're even seeing, in, in like your space, finance shows that are 
um, live streamed. Obviously, not as good as your show. I mean, um, uh, so like you're at the top of the we pyramid, do no live problem. For sure, yeah. Uh, so, so obviously you're at the top of the pyramid. Um, <laughs> Thank um, you. But well, you know, we have um, so we see that. Um, I, I do think um, we're seeing new revenue models. Mm-hmm. Um, is it just going to be virtual item gifting, um, or will we see more? Um, we see that the content. It. it, it I, th- I think it's interesting. It, it isn't just like a bunch of teenage girls in their um, bedroom talking about their boring life. Uh, what we see is. Um, Have you watched uh, all other? Of those? I, uh, so, <laughs> so obviously, as an investor, uh, we like to provide feed. Uh, you know, feedback on the product level. I mean, we have an amazing product team. They educate us more than we educate them, but. Uh, we do have an obligation to try to understand the products we invest in a little bit and, um, and, and really work with our teams. Okay, so let's move on to another space, co-working. Lots happening in co-working, office, shared office um, sectors in China. This past week we see another Chinese co-working space called Nashwork raising a 78 million Series B plus round from Sino-Ocean Capital, which is an investment arm of real estate-owned enterprise Sino-Ocean Group Holding. We have seen some consolidation in co-working. We've listed about seven or eight M&A deals in the Chinese co-working space um, um, in China, uh, in greater China area. Uh, the, the most uh, significant deal is, of course, WeWork buying Shanghai-based co-working space operator Naked Hub. But, of, of course, we still see a lot of um, um, financing deals. The investors continue to put money into this space. Have you studied this space, and are you optimistic, or you know, do, you, do you invest into companies like this? Well, we haven't invested in... Um a, a, a company specifically in the in this space. I mean, uh, so we certainly like it. Um, you can make an argument that this entire space is just a financial product, really. It's this arbitrage between long term and short term, and um, in, in like the shared work and in, in, in we work and and, and 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 the like. I suppose are. Um, filling a gap that um, property developers and building owners didn't really want to uh, you know, provide. But maybe moving forward with better tools um, and um, a- a- approaches and analytics and all that sort of stuff, maybe uh, building operators might be able to get a little bit closer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure they can replicate WeWork's success only because you know, WeWork themselves um, offers more than just uh, this arbitrage. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm, 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 I mean, I mean, I'm optimistic. Or, or put it this way, I mean, I could see the compelling value. Now, anything in China tends, anything that's interesting and hot tends to get overinvested, and and, and so we're in, and so I think we have to separate our optimism for the business model and and, and the compelling value proposition that we see from well. Just a lot of investment, a lot of punters. Everyone wants to get involved. Uh, real estate is the largest asset class by far. Uh, 
with tr trillions and trillions of, of globally. Um, and, and, and so therefore, uh, I, I think this category has a lot more runway. Um, and so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but still, uh, do you find investable companies even in this space? Because it's sort of already, you know, two I, years I, into I, the, Yeah, yeah. yeah I, again, you're right. And, and so, so we like, it's a compelling value proposition, but are there investable companies or is there too much activity? Is it too hot? Are valuations too high? Is there too much capital in the space? Sounds like it. Um, it's one of those no-brainer or it's something that doesn't require a rocket scientist to understand. Um, um, and, and what does that mean? It means it's probably going to attract a lot more people. Um, and, and so I, I, I think it's good to either be thoughtful and understand um, are there verticals or, or maybe are there parts of the shared office value chain that might be interesting and might be a, a possible investment thesis could be interesting, um, but the kind of just the WeWork 2.0, 3.0, or Naked Hub, or Simply Work, which is an exceptional company down in, in, in obviously in Shenzhen and um, in, in many others, um, you know, um, would be saying it. You know, it seems quite crowded. Right, and the other hot sector in real estate or shared real estate arrangement is getting hot as well, which is the so-called long-term apartment leasing companies. This week, we saw Tiger Global Management leading a 70 million Series B plus round in Chinese long-term apartment leasing firm Danke. Existing investors including China Media Capital, Gaorong Capital, Joy Capital, Vision Plus Capital, BAI and Shenzhen, Yoji Investment Management also invested in the company. The financing round came three months after Danker raised a 100 million US dollar Series B round led by CMC Capital and Gaorong Capital. Long-term apartment leasing, similar story. It's like you say, arbitrage between long-term and short-term, or long-term obligations and short-term. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously, you can never bet against Derek. You know, um, you know <laughs> Derek Song, the, uh, the, the you know, like the chairman and and one of the founders. I mean, I think he's an exceptional entrepreneur. He knows what he's doing. He's going to run a tight ship. He's going to execute very well. Super smart guy. Explain yeah. a little bit about Derek's background. So obviously, uh, Derek uh, was an, an an early employee in Google China. He went to UCLA, which means he meets a certain high standard. That's where I went to school too. So I'm not bragging. Um, and <laughs> then, cool. he, and 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 I remember when when Derek was leaving Google, he was thinking about doing a, like a real estate project. Even then, but then he decided to um, get involved with um, Ren Ren. And uh, they had that um, group buy business, which was a very successful that they eventually sold it to um, Baidu. Because at, at that time, Baidu was very excited about O to O. I don't know about today, but back then. And so, so this was one of the companies that they acquired. Um, and then after that, um, having had that great success, um, Derek uh, joined LinkedIn and um, he, he kind of it was really a separate company it was it was it was LinkedIn China which was a, a separate shareholding structure a separate approach to the market did an amazing job built it up to 40 million users and 
and so he had another success and then he started thinking about um, you know after uh, taking a step back from the daily operations on that business as I understand it he started going back to that initial passion he had which was uh, on, on the real estate side and and look he's built another an, an incredible company Wow amazing well what do you think is the value yet for long-term leasing apartments? You know, management companies, and so property management companies offer an amazing service to um, owners. In fact, it's also a financial product in some way, or vice versa, maybe the... Um, and, and, and obviously, there's a lot of real estate in China. Um, luckily... I don't know if it's luckily. I think every Chinese can have an apartment right now. There's, you know, uh, you know that much been built, has been built. Um, and, and so, therefore, um, there's a lot of vacancies. There's a lot of um, opportunities now to manage those properties. And, 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 and of course, it's, it's really a no-brainer as opposed to each individual owner trying to manage their own um, empty apartment. Why not have a big, large well-funded, organized management company do it for you. So it's like um, a franchise. It's almost like a Hilton who's a management company for hotels. In the future, you'd have WeWork as a franchise management company for office space. And Danke, a management company for apartments. It's true. It's true. That's a way to think about it. Is there a management company? But what we tend to see is because a management company is consumer-facing, just like WeWork is consumer-facing, i.e. small businesses and, and, and individuals who use WeWork, just like Danka is a, uh, a, has a consumer-facing element, what we tend to see is companies that are facing the consumer and or facing demand tend to have a better clue on what supply should be, and so, th- as so they tend to integrate back into supply. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen um, already... Um, we work thinking, well, why can't we just develop these buildings? Because we understand demand, we understand how to market the demand, we understand the requirements. Why should uh, we should do it? Uh, why should one of these uh, property developers do it? Um, and similarly, I think Danka is, is going to make that realization too. You know, they have they manage over a hundred, what a few hundred thousand properties today. They understand leasers, and and, and there's and, and, and people want to lease. Uh, there's a need to lease. Everyone can't own or don't don't want to own for whatever reasons, and so they'll fundamentally understand the mentality and how to reach those customers and what that means. And they're going to say, well, you know what? Why don't we just build these apartment buildings? We, we can we're, we're just as capable as the other guys, and we have this other unique insight that they don't have, which is the demand-facing uh, solution. And, and, so, so, and, and so, so we tend to see companies that are really good at demand tend to vertically integrate. Um, back into supply and and the only reason why they wouldn't do it is if it financially doesn't make sense so Hilton isn't going to own any buildings because they realize you know just have the soccer investor own the building because Hilton makes the most money off the management contract and so so, so, so that's why they don't do it of course we have to mention for long-term apartment leasing companies their rise comes or accompanies the trend in China where young people increasingly think that they do not need to buy or they cannot afford to buy. So I just saw some data for younger people in China, um, 
uh, a much much higher ratio of of young couples think we don't need to buy in order to get married. They are fine renting apartments, which is in Chinese traditional culture highly you know highly unacceptable. You need to have your own place in order to get married. So we're seeing this trend that definitely uh, will support the further growth of long-term leasing companies. But we're running out of time, so let's quickly go through the remaining news headlines. Moving on to mobility, we see Chinese used car auction platform Tiantian Paichua raising 100 million US dollar investment from Autohome. Autohome is, of course, a Chinese mm-hmm. automobile online platform. And this is a strategic investment. The two companies said they will closely cooperate on traffic, user, and services going forward. Right, used car auction platforms. We've seen so much money being invested into these companies, and every time when I'm in a crappy Chinese hotel where there's nothing else I can watch except watching Chinese television, and I see during commercial time, it's one, two, three used car auction platforms. Their ads flashing over and over, you know, one after another. So this obviously will naturally lead to industry consolidation. Actually, in this deal, we're saying making a strategic investment, potentially this company will become a part of Auto Home, becoming the used car auction platform and uh, auto financing services providing um, uh, provider online. Your outlook for this industry? I think um, I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, the used car category, of course, is large. It used to be, we talked about Chinese culture. It used to be everyone wanted a new car. And now we're seeing that uh, some people are very comfortable buying a, a used car. Um, and so I, I think I'm pretty optimistic about that category. I would think, though, however, that maybe. Like the big revenue opportunities may come from financing and, 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 and offering, again, fintech again, right? Um, um, offering of f- f- financial products, i.e. the financing of used cars and or uh, even the buying, selling, or and yeah, kind the, of all that sort of stuff. I, I, th- I, th- I think, uh, you know, some the of The problem with this industry is the transaction frequency is so low. Like, how many times you'd sell your used car? Once or twice the most. Uh, why is that a problem? Um, that means users won't, you know, be a continuous, frequent user of the That's platform. right. So you have 100 million Chinese that will total will buy or sell a used car in a year. That's a lot of people. So yes, frequency is only a disadvantage if um, your business model needs people to use your service all the time. But, you know, Chunar... I mean, people didn't travel every month. You know, maybe they traveled a couple times a year. It didn't matter because when they did travel, we provided a service and we built an amazing business, just like I think these used cars, um, you know, platforms. You're right that there is a high frequency. Now, that presents unique challenges because if it's not high, if it's not a high frequency, frequent, highly frequent purchase, um, consumers may not or users, buyers and sellers, may not know which platform to go to. Maybe they forgot about the platform. So when someone uses Taobao all the time, 
and they know how Taobao works. They, it's always top of mind. We call it, um, you know, uh, T-O-M, top of mind awareness is very high. And so therefore, Jack Ma doesn't have to spend a bunch of marketing dollars on uh, promoting Taobao because all his users already understand it um, and, and, and know where to go uh, to, to, to use that platform. With a used car platform, if you only use it once every three or four years, if, if that, um, uh, you may forget about it. And so that presents all sorts of unique challenges for the used car platform. And it's, it certainly could be costly if your demand generation, so did, did, did demand generation for a less frequently used uh, platform tends to be higher, tends to be more challenging, and so you have to make it up by either higher basket size, higher commission rates, or maybe other ancillary services. Um, auto home, which people and consumers go to more frequently, mm -hmm. seems to be a natural fit for a used car platform all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. It looks like um, a very good strategic fit. We have, of course, I want to mention that uh, the, the, the 100 million funding round came just one day after its rival, Chujibao, just raised 125 million round um, from, uh, uh, from a Chinese private equity fund, Green Harbor Investment who is a lead investor in that round. So investors still pouring lots of money into these platforms. And the day that we see that these platforms prove that they have a sustainable business model is still yet to come. But of course, we'll be keeping close look uh, on this sector. We have two more headlines to go through. So I'll just quickly through those so and we can finally wrap up the program. For consumer sector this week, we see Alibaba making a strategic investment to buy 10% stake in Chinese pregnancy and parenting online portal and e-commerce platform BabyTree Inc. This round value the company at 2.19 billion US dollars. Uh, one week ago, Chinese online retailer of beauty, uh, of beauty products, Jumei, um, announcing a statement that it entered into an agreement to sell 4% of its stake in BabyTree for about 86.5 million US dollars to a third-party investor. That transaction also valued BabyTree at 2.16 billion, roughly the same valuation. And in healthcare, we see that Beijing and Hong Kong-based investment firm Hill House Capital leading a 35 million Series B round in antibody and right Recombinant protein biotherapeutics firm Hangzhou Just Bio. Sorry, how do you say this word? Biotherapeutics. Biotherapeutics, right? Biotherapeutics. Thank you. Existing investor including Tomasek, Lily Asia Ventures, Arch. Venture partners Taikon and BOCGI, Zhushan Capital, also participating. All right, so these are the two. We see one, uh, Baby Tree Inc., which is sort of like baby.com in the US, where pregnant um, and, mom, and moms go there for information, for community, for e commerce uh, needs, uh, getting a strategic investment from Alibaba. Um, of course, you know, with the trend of Chinese people allowed to have two children and potentially um, more opened up on the, on the population policy. 
baby, pregnancy, um, uh, maternity services uh, will uh, will still be growing very rapidly in the future. Uh, you have any thoughts to share? Well, like you said, the low frequency um, <laughs> this activities. This is low frequency. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, but, but having said that, I mean, we do raise our kids for many years, right? At least until right. 18, if not longer, or 26, if you're a part of the Obama administration. Uh, I still get um, emails from baby.com when they registered, when they went to their forum, when I was right. pregnant, I still get emails from, your baby just turned into three, or just turned into three and one month. So it's this continued engagement. Right, exactly. Um, uh, because it's, we're not as familiar with... Um, child rearing because it's not frequent and obviously because of industrialization and you know the six-pack having a lot of parents and grandparents around um, and, and it, it, it's true that society has kind of forgot how to raise kids I think <laughs> and, and, and also everything related to that with nutrition and health and, 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 and people haven't forgotten yeah. how to make kids yeah, they haven't forgot because that's more, yeah, <laughs> slightly more direct. Um, and, and, and so what, but, but, but it is true that um, why are there so many psychological problems today and in all these parenting classes? And why is it such a big business today? Well, you, you, you kind of didn't need that 100 years ago because we, because we kind of picked it up. Kids were always around. People grew up on farms in smaller communities. Um, but but nowadays, with the fragmentation or atomization of society, and everyone's in their little cubicle or little self-driving car, um, and living in big cities, we be generally we've forgotten about that. And and obviously, Baby Tree provides an exceptional service to kind of meet that need all of a sudden. Um, and so, spot on, and kudos to Alan for building such an amazing business and his Who investors. Yeah, right, exactly. Alan Yang, I think, um, um, an, 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 an amazing entrepreneur, and we used to be neighbors. Um, and I, I think, um, and so he's providing a, a, an incredible need, and, or a meeting an incredible need. And not only that, he, he figured out, you know, I'm going to make some money off of it too by flogging various types of services and, 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 and products. And, 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 and you're absolutely right. Um, Baby Tree knows exactly. Baby Tree, right? It's, it's, it's Baby Tree, right? Baby Tree, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It's and, and and obviously Yao Lan and Red Baba Baby and, and and like some of the other ones, right? Um, knows exactly. Once you register in three years, they know how old your kid is all of a sudden, and gender and some other things, and so they can keep uh, pestering you. Or I I, I suppose. With, they have sophisticated CRM systems, which um, could be super effective and very informative and healthy, or and, and, and possibly a bother, you know, the other way. And and obviously, it's very difficult for you know the uh, juggernaut that is Alibaba to kind of compete because they don't offer that tier of information and customization. And and, and so Jack has recognized, you know, this is a this is an area we need to have a play in. Um, I like yeah. how you talk about yeah. all these entrepreneurs on first name basis. <laughs> you know all of them. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Fritz, for your time. I hope you did learn three new things. 
That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Nina. Thanks very much. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you do enjoy the program and think it's valuable, please give us a rating and write a review on iTunes or any other place you listen to podcasts. This will help other people to find us. Thank you so much. Until next week.